Hey, Freedom Fighters. This is David Delaney with 10 Bound. Thank you so much for listening to the Sales Development Podcast and tuning in each week. You are amazing. Sales development is the hardest job on the go-to-market team, and you do it well every day, and we appreciate you being here. Hey, I wanted to really quickly let you know about a project that we've been working on over the last couple months that we launched a beta version over at 10bound.com forward slash directory. And what this is, is a directory to help you out as you're looking for products and services that support your sales development efforts. As you may know, we have developed the first sales development industry market map where we pull together the very, very specialized products and services that are created to help you hit your sales development goals. And the number one the request that we got after we developed the market map is, hey, how do I double click on this and learn more about the companies, products and services that are on the market map here on Tambound? And we didn't have anything like that. You could just basically download the market map and kind of use it as a guide to start looking at some of these other companies that you may need for your sales development strategy. So we developed the directory. And what it is, is basically you look at the market map, you look at the quadrant that you're interested in. So say you're shopping for outsourced SDR services, or you're looking at all the different availabilities around sales engagement platforms that are there. Now you can actually double click on that, go to the directory, and each one of the companies will have their own page, a showcase page where they can put down very quickly, okay, what's the difference between them and the other ones? What's their value prop? What are their case studies? And how do I get in touch with them? You know, boom, 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 an easy way for you to, to check whether they're legit. This is a beta version, so we're going to be developing more robust capabilities so that you can save companies, look at their various ratings on rating sites, and have that all in one place as you're doing your sales development research. So we're really excited about that. If you are a company that sells to the sales development community, be sure to claim your profile, get on there, register, get your page up, get your value prop up, get a few differentiators so that people know about you and they don't have to go to you know, a bunch of different sites. They can just start to gather that information in one place. And be sure to leave a comment. Let us know what you think. Let us know what it's missing, what would help you to be able to determine your sales development strategy and companies that you use that aren't on the market map and are not in the directory, but should be that have really helped you to achieve your sales development goals. So again, it's 10bound.com forward slash directory. Get on there, check it out. Let us know what you think. Thanks. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the sales development podcast. I'm your host, David Delaney with a friend from overseas who joined us on Zoom. I'm really excited to talk with you. Orion Matei, CEO of Operatics, and your nickname is Ray, so I'll just stick with Ray if you don't mind. <laughs> no Thanks problem. Thanks for coming on. Pleasure. How are you, David? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, considering the circumstances, it's all good. Yes. And Ray, you know, you're the CEO of Operatics and you're kind of the go-to guy that I think of when I think of SDR teams globally and if people ask me about that but tell us about how you started operatics how you got into the industry and a little bit about yourself 
Yeah, sure, sure. So I actually, if we go all the way back in France, I started with an engineering degree, went to work, absolutely hated it. So went back to school for a couple of years and did a business school. Then I ended up working with Philips, the consumer electronics company in Paris. Philips sent me to Cambridge because my English was not good enough. So I landed in the UK, in Cambridge, finished, did one year in Cambridge. And in the meantime, my operation center, my Philips operation center got relocalized in China. So they moved everything they had in Paris in China. So I had nothing to go back to. So at the time where I was reading a few books and autobiography about you know, strong CEOs saying, I started my career on the phone. I started my career door-to-door selling, et cetera, et cetera. So what I decided to do, I said, said to myself, look, I'm in the UK. The UK is kind of known for recruitment, strong kind of aid that word, but telemarketing companies and all that. And I said to myself, you know what, why not do it for six months, a little bit like the military services, um, and get yourself some experience, see what it looks like, try to be successful. And at least you could have said, you know, I've taken that, I've done it. So, and I joined a company called Optima Consulting Partners as a rep. Pretty quickly, I developed Southern Europe. So I was the first non-English person in that company and developed Southern Europe. So France, Spain, Italy, pretty quickly, then became sales director of the company and then supported the CEO at the time to transition the company. So we got acquired in 2010 by a company called Rainmaker Systems that you may know, David, because they were based in Campbell. So not too far away from where you are in San Francisco. Further to the acquisition, we had an on out. We did the on out, so I was free to go. And I decided to go to Operatics, which was a new venture. So we started that. So I actually started the, the company at the outset with the my CEO from, from Optima. We got together and we started the business from a farm in the UK. <laughs> we just had a desk, you know, looking at each other. And that was eight years and two months ago. And since a lot of things have happened, but that's that's how I got into the business. So I just wanted a six months experience and yeah, that turned into something a little bit more serious. That's crazy. Okay. So you're sitting there, you started Operatics with the CEO, you're sitting there in a farmhouse looking at each other. Then what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> I, well, could, we got, I could see we how got, that could get a little awkward. <laughs> yeah, but we was it was my business partner, so you know, friends and everything. So we 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 started the business together, and you know, we it was when it when it was just the two of us. As soon as we started to win some new clients, which was interesting because you know, Optima was a company that went on for a little while, so probably for nine years, ten years, and we were trying to go back to our previous customers, and yeah, everybody was kind of well, get three months, six months, some other clients, and then we will join you. So we, we actually struggled to get the first few, but once we got the first few clients and you, we had to start to recruit, we decided that we would need to invest into an office. So we moved to, we moved to a, a more professional office. So we moved to a business park and now we've got three buildings in that business parks. So we're kind of wow. taking over business parks slowly but surely. <laughs> um, but yeah, at the beginning, it was just two of us, a little bit awkward in the middle of nowhere in the English countryside. And yeah, we did that bootstrap, no investment. And yeah, here we are now. Get the clients. Okay. So, so, and the initial clients that you had known, your Rolodex, like of, yep. of co- contacts, 
were a little bit, eh, you know, I'm not sure. So, so you had to go, you and your business partner literally had to go out and get new business in order to fund uh, Absolutely. The, the rest of it. Okay. Okay. What was yeah. that process like? I mean, you, so you literally had to be an SDR at that time. Yeah. Well, SDR sales rep, but I'm, I still am, you know, I've, you'll be surprised, but probably at the moment I'm trying to free up at least 30 minutes a day to do a bit of prospection. My, my prospection has changed because I'm very much prospecting my, my network and, you know, people moving from one company to another company, but that's pretty much what I was doing at the time. You know, you, we've met people, you know, we, we had a company doing kind of something similar to what we wanted to do. So we met quite a lot of people. So it was really about re-engaging and think about it almost as a, at the outset, it almost felt like a bit of a PR and letting people know that we were there. And I think people were just looking at us and saying, hmm, okay, they're starting again, but they don't really have any clients. Do I really want to be the first clients of those guys? Maybe yes, maybe no. But then we managed to convince a few and then we had a snowball effect. As yeah. soon as we started to get the first couple, you know, it just went very quickly. And that's fun, you know, when, when it's early days, it's like any relationship, like anything, you know, at the beginning, you're a bit crazy, you have so much fun. It's easy, you don't have a lot of people to manage. And it's cool. And yeah, then eight years down the line, when you reach 10 plus million dollars of revenue, you've got over 150 people in the organization, you've got different edX. It's still fun, not yeah. the same sort of fun. Okay, it's just a, it's a different stage. Okay, this is really interesting. Yeah. So, so at the beginning, when you got the clients, but then you needed somebody to service them because you yep. didn't have the infrastructure. So, at first, w did you also have to do the actual, you know, client work, or were you able to backfill that in time to get it going? I was doing. I would not say that I was doing the client work because that's something that. I wanted to probably do, but I knew deeply inside that I should not, because if you get involved, you can't scale. And the problem we've got in our line of business, and it's still true now, is that our clients absolutely bloody love our staff. And if I put David on a program and I say to them, oh, David needs to go on to another program now, it's like the end of the world. Because people build a relationship with their BDR, SDR, ADR, LDR, whatever you want to call them. And, and those relationships are strong. So I'm glad I didn't get involved because if I had an involvement in campaign, you know, people are just would have been disappointed when you go. Now, what I was involved into and with my business partner, we are really involved into the day-to-day -day of the campaign. So, you know, we were part of the kickoff. We were building up the, the sales playbook, you know, really doing everything, talking to the clients, basically managing the program. And by managing the programs, it means also managing the resources. So listening to calls. At the time, where Gong was not something. You had to do it manually. You had to plug in with a headset into the phone system so you could <laughs> listen to what was going on, doing some coaching. And, and you know, the way we looked at it and, and what we've already always done when we built a team or when we built a new region or when we built a new business practice around a specific type of solution is that we always look at building what we call a core team. And that core team would be a group of individuals that would be the foundation that you can then work from. So once we had three, four, five resources that were absolutely brilliant at what they were doing, they learned from us. They had our methodology absolutely nailed. They could speak to clients and you have a customer coming to the team well it's much easier for that person because they have someone to look up to they've got someone that can shadow them they've got someone that will give them pointer and 
that's what we wanted to build. So it took us probably a good six months, seven months to, to build that core team. We made some mistakes. I mean, you know, you've been recruiting BDR, so you know that sometimes you make casting issues, you know, you don't get the right people, so you need to make changes. And yeah, once we had that core business, then we, we could, the core team, sorry, we could just scale to the next level, which was, right, let's scale to a team of 20 people. And then when you get to 20 people, you need more people to support the growth and, you know, promotions and things like that. And that's how we've been. And since then, every single promotion within operatics, every single role, apart from finance and, and our office manager. So we've got someone who look after the office in a, in the UK, but kind of, a, of a, as a global role. Everybody's coming from the bottom. So everybody's been on the phone. And now they are managers, they are salespeople, they are marketing people within operatics, but they are all coming from doing the job for us. Yeah, you can't trick them when it comes to what it takes to be successful as a BDR. Right, they've come up through the ranks. And so, okay, this is really interesting. So they, the clients, the initial clients, why did they want to work with you? Why did they go ahead and want to work with you at the beginning? What kind of problem were yep. they solving and they said, okay, I'm going to give you a shot, Ray, to try to help me solve this. Okay, that's a good question. I think that what I'd say, David, that we, didn't go from, we didn't go for the IBM. So, so we only work with B2B software companies, which actually is not true because we've got clients like PwC and Gartner. We're not really software, more, more consultancy. But you know, back then, we were very much B2B software. And you know, with those, we're not going for the big one. We're not going for Microsoft. We're not going for IBM. We're not going for Oracle, not at the outset. So basically, we are trying to find companies that would humanize with us. You know, people who are in the same sort of situation or have been through that sort of situation recently. And maybe organization that felt that larger competitors of operatics may just see them as a small fish in a big pond and not really give them the care that they would deserve. So that's kind of the type of clients we were looking for. We were looking for the cool startups, people that have had something similar to us. We had lots of references because when we were Optima, well, companies like Palo Alto Networks, Big Fix, T-Leaf Technologies, I don't know if you would recall those guys, but lots of organizations that have done very, very well in the market. So we, we had a bunch of, of experience and we were trying to find the startups that would yeah, basically give us a chance because they have a startup spirit and they like entrepreneurial people. They are less bureaucratic than big company. There is no procurement process. It's pretty straightforward. If, if the owner or the CMO or the CRO like you, you've got a deal in the next two days and you start the following week. That's what we were going after at the beginning. And, and we still do a good 40% of our business because again, we want to keep our identity and our roots, a good 40% of our business, not not in revenue, but in terms of in term of sales, because obviously we've got larger clients making a bigger chunk of the revenue, is coming from those early stage companies. So is pre-serie A or Serie A B type of companies that that wants the scale. And we call them the scale up. Scale up. This is really interesting. So you mentioned that the bigger companies that are doing your type of work wouldn't give these startup scale ups as the white glove treatment, you know, the yep. four five star Ritz Carlton, you know, treatment. And that was a differentiator for you. Yes. We it's not really something that we pushed on because we, we believe that, you know, it's you should never speak about your competitor in a sales process. It's it's an act of desperation from my perspective. So we, we always 
try to respect our competitors and you know not get involved in what they do but it's really the feedback that we got from the market and you know i've got something going on i'm not really happy about it i don't get the level of response i don't have the passion you know most of the people are saying that i don't have the passion and when i meet with you the energy the passion the way you speak about it i'm excited but the guys i'm working with at the moment don't really excite me and you know he's working okay but i think we could do much better and they're not really bringing any new ideas to the table and you know they may sit with us and within 30 minutes of meeting with each other, we may have given them, gave them three, four new ideas that they could put in place straight away because experience and we're very excitable people <laughs> and we love what we do. So, you know, they bring it to the table. And so what, what were some of the reasons that they came to you initially? Or, I mean, is it, is it that they need more appointments for their sales team? They need more pipeline. They need data. What are the like pain points that they usually come to you with? There is a few. I was on the phone this afternoon with a company that you know I would classify as a pre-serie A, and really their issue is to figure out what their market is. I think they know what their market is. Sorry, let me rephrase that. It's more figuring out who are the person that I should target and what should I tell them to get them to to come to me. So they are more like on the sales playbook type of phase where they want to define their message, they want to test their message, and they want to see what would be the response to that message. Then we've got some other organization that, yeah, they, they want scale, they want more. And sometimes they would have an internal team, but they may feel that their internal team is not really generating enough risk and they want more. Or sometimes they have nothing. Sometimes they add a team and then they just don't have the team anymore and they realize it's a massive headache to manage BDR and so they come to us. And sometimes we've got just organizations that don't have any marketing. So they don't have any MQLs, they just have salespeople and they recruit those great sales guys. But, you know, as soon as they've gone through their little black book of contact, the pipeline is drying up and they want to bring more consistency so they would come to us and, and make sure that they've got, you know, they, they put the word out there. But I'd say that most of this organization would probably look at getting three to five new logo from working with us for a year. That's kind of the objective that I would see. And then on the side of that, the, the bottom of the iceberg, the, the part of the iceberg that's under the water is help me to define my message, help me to find out what is the right sequence to engage with, with my prospect? Who should I engage with? Is there a priority order? Should I start there in the organization? And if, that, if I don't get a response, I go there. Should I use emails, calls, social? You know, it's a question of fine-tuning. They are trying to find that magic formula that you can replicate and replicate and hopefully, hopefully get more results. Got it. Okay. And I, that all makes sense. But bottom of the ice bag, can you explain that to me? I think I get what you're saying, but what do you I mean think, by that? I think it's the thing that maybe you and I care about, but maybe when you speak to a CFO, CIO, mm -hmm. sorry, CFO, CEO, CRO, they don't care about. They want the logo. They will look at meetings, qualified opportunities, pipeline, revenue. Okay. Yes. Do they understand the fact that you've been going through 2,000 lines of data that you freshly cleansed or cleansed and, you know, to get five opportunities? Probably not. But do they understand that they could really turn that 2,000 line of data into something very powerful if they were to run a drip feed campaign over a 12-month period? Mm 
because you've touched those 2,000 contacts in a maybe three months period, but you may have touched them at, in a three months period where they're not interested, they're not in the market for your stuff. But maybe next month they will be, right? So it's about it's about using the data in a positive way. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is message. You know, how do you find a message that resonates resonate with a specific persona? And it's not just the persona. It's not about getting the meeting. It's also about converting the meeting into an opportunity and an opportunity to close. So it's not just conversion from message persona to meeting or to sales accepted engagement or to sales accepted lead, whatever we want to call it, or persona message to sales qualified opportunity. It's who are the people that actually make something happen and would take you to opportunity close. So that is really the winning formula. It's, it's how do you build up that winning formula? How do you find a formula with your client that you can replicate? And then you try it every single time you try to penetrate a new account. And you know if it's a winning formula, it should be working in a good 50%, 60% of the case at least. So then you, you set yourself to good results. And when you think about the winning formula, is this situation where in some cases you find that winning formula for them, you're generating results, and then you hand it to them and they build their own team and and then you continue working with them so, or does it just depend yeah okay so yeah so the winning formula you're right so that's that's a very good point so they you know usually they poach our team <laughs> so we, they, we we actually have a transfer model now in our agreement to avoid our clients from poaching our team but surprisingly some of them still try you know, and they say, oh, no, but the person reached out to us and say, yeah, but you still recruit an employee. You stop the contract with us. You tell us that it's another reason that, you know, funds are not there or whatever. And then one month later, we've got an alert from LinkedIn that our guys are working for you. So that's not great. But yeah, we most of our clients are, I'd say, good 80% understand the fact that they can recruit our team and they would just consult with us. So it's the case that if we've got that winning formula, probably after three months, six months, nine months, when we can show consistency, our clients will probably come to us and say, look, we're looking at potentially recruiting that resource. Can you tell us how much it would cost? Can you consult with that resource to see if it's something that they would explore? And if everything aligns, sometimes some of our resources don't want to join the vendor, but if they do and you know the offer aligns with expectations and everything is fine, then we transfer them. So we probably transferred around, I don't know, 20, 30 people last year, I would say. And we're in the process of doing five or six at the moment. So it's, it's happening a lot. Okay. And what about the, is there like a playbook that you give them and they can take it and run with it? Or is it built electronically? Or is that something that you keep? How do you transfer the knowledge, whether they recruit the person or not? So it depends what they pay for. So sometimes yeah. we just do the sales playbook and quite frankly, we almost do it for free. And it's our resource being senior enough to be able to change the message, speak on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis with the clients and you know, being in the trenches, listening to prospect and finding the message for free or, you know, because they would just try to be successful and get more results. And we've got some of our clients who actually ask us to document, to put together a proper sales playbook, not just around message and personal and all that, but also around tools, processes, system sequences, and, and how to orchestrate the whole thing. So that's happening more and more, if I'm completely honest with you, because I think more and more people are asking themselves questions around technology stack, 
around message around how do I scale up? How do I do outbound at scale without you know, putting too much automation in the process? Because I believe that B2B prospect, particularly the A-level guys, they want to speak to a human being. So I think AI and stuff like that is still a little bit early, but you know, it's about how can I scale the individual in my team to be more productive? How can I find shortcuts to give them emails, give them access to stuff? So, you know, and you live in bread that, you know, it's, it's the sales automation, marketing automation world. But then with that, stuff like Gong are the solution that helps you to find the winning formula. So it's about mixing in them all together and based on the type of company, you may say, well, based on your structure, your CRM and everything, I would recommend SalesLoft, for example. So it's about being technology agnostic and then, yeah, putting everything together. But it's not just message when we do it. It's, it's kind of everything. It's the whole thing. And do you find that they, your successful clients, they build it themselves and they keep you around for years and years? Or yep. does it just depend on the client? Yes, we have quite a few that, I don't know if I can mention them. I won't. I probably won't for the sake of, you know, sure. if I'm not sure about the details. But we have had, I'm thinking about two in particular. One, probably a couple of years ago, their objective was, look, we won't be with you for the long term, guys. We want to build up an inside team. We find it very painful. So we want you to get the pain of building up the process, building up the team. And then in six months' time, once we get to the level of results, we will recruit all your team. So we had a contract around that. And after six months, we did an extension for six months. And then six months. And they're still a client today. And they've not recruited a single person from our team. Actually, that's not true. They got one, but they transferred that resource to do something else within their business, a channel account manager role. So hmm. that's one. The other one is an organization that we've been working with probably for 18 months now. And their objective was to recruit the team at the end of 12 months, which I believe could have been around you know, at some points last year, maybe six months ago, something like that. And they just got back to us and said, look, you know, we through working with you and through working with your managers and having that relationship with your manager, we see them, you know, we send our guys to our clients' kickoff events, partner events. So that there is a lot of interaction. They really work with our team. Our team is really an extension of their sales and marketing team. So they get into the details of what those guys are doing on a daily basis. And I think they realize the amount of work, you know, the complexity of running a BDR team. And I think when they realize that they also respect the fact that, okay, we could bring it in house, but that's not what we do as a business. As a business, we develop software. We should not, you know, this is, this is a new thing. So those guys are kind of saying, look, we understand the pain, so we're going to let you live with the pain. We would rather pay 10% more than if we were to do it ourselves in California or somewhere else in the US. But that 10% is removing a lot of pain from my plate that we don't want to get. So please go ahead and we're going to carry on working with you. That makes perfect sense. I mean, that, like you said, they are software developers and <laughs> yeah you know i mean this is a very complex business and I, I think it's interesting because people tend to write off sales development because they feel like it's an entry-level position it's just yep. you know get a phone book and start calling people but i think after listening to this people realize how complex this is and how hard it is and why you know one of the one of the biggest quadrants on the 10 bound market map is outsourced SDR companies and and mm -hmm. um, there's a huge demand but there's a also 
there's huge quality, you know, differentiator between someone doing like yourself and then a lot of other companies that are doing this because with yeah. high demand brings in high number of people who want to tap into that. Yeah, that's why that's why I always a big believer in the fact that you know the, the concept of telemarketing is is ancient you know it's dead it's, it's finished you know we, yeah you can't do it with just a script an excel spreadsheet with a bunch of telephone number and a 16 year old that don't know what a cio is to call people and repeat the same thing over and over again and you know it just really hurt me when people say selling is a number game i don't think it's a number game it's, it's quality game you know where we play in enterprise sales mid-enterprise sales with average deal value at a quite high where you're representing a client you know you want to come across as professional and from my perspective coming across professional means coming prepared having done your research on the accounts being able to address the accounts as the account not as the vendor not having a me 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 pitch we are the best we do this we are pioneer we are five milliseconds quicker nobody cares it's really about okay that's your situation david and you know i've looked on linkedin you've been in the company for six months this is what you've done before i'm led to believe that you may push the cloud and in that enterprise people in your in organization your size this is a sort of headache that we see people suffering from oh by the way i was on the phone with the guys at whatever company and we spoke about that now what i'd like to do we've got sorry and you know it's about having that ability to have a conversation and you know a conversation and we we've got some guys in our team who are like 20 year old 22 year old even some probably below that who are doing it extremely well because they are smart kids but it takes a very 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 specific individual to be able to do that and and that proactive outreach i think is really what makes us unique that with the challenger sales methodology behind it that we've got on the market and the accounts because we've been doing what we've been doing for a long time that combined is the accelerator Okay, because in a sense, you could create your own team. You may be in pain, but I'm sure that any professional person, even if they've never done it before, you know, a smart individual would probably take 18 months to get it right. Mm. Okay, we can get it right in two weeks. So, you know, you can go and learn and do it yourself. I don't know for you, David, but I had to do some painting in my house the other day. I had the choice of saving a few, probably five, six hundred dollars and do it myself and potentially be on the verge of divorce with my wife if I was to do it myself, or just pay someone to come and do it. Well, I'm not a painter, so I just paint someone to come and do it, right? It's acceleration. I don't have to go to the shop. I don't have to worry about it. You know, that's the way. That's, I think that's the way it should be, but that's my opinion. Of course, and I completely agree. I one time tried to change my own oil, and it was an absolute disaster. Never done it again. <laughs> so I get it. And that is a question that I had for you about companies that are trying to get out to the European Union. You know, it, yeah. it, that's another thing where are you going to spend all this time learning all these new things and all these new laws, or do you just want to, you know, either learn your market or build your pipeline? So I'm just curious from your perspective for people that haven't gone out there and, and tried to make it happen, um, yeah. what should we know? How is it different? You know, what are the things that we should know if we want to start going to market in the eu i think the the number well there is a lot of things there number one is that you need to pick your region so if you are any company from the us and you're trying to land into europe most of them 90 percent will try to go for the uk so it's great go to the uk but the uk market is now becoming very cynical 
Why? Because they've got all the vendors under the sun landing in the UK, telling them that their new stuff is the best thing since sliced bread. Okay. <laughs> and, and that creates some sort of an irony, cynicism around the whole thing. So that's number one. You know, sometimes you could go to France, you could go to Germany, but then people are like, oh no, France, it takes too long. Business is always done over lunch and everything. Oh, the German, no, 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 too long. This is bullshit. I'm sorry, but this is bullshit. I'm selling in France as quickly as I sell in the UK. I see my clients selling in Germany as quickly. This is preconceived things. You know, it's because my friend told me that. I have no experience, but I will tell you what my friend told me as this is gospel. And ah, this is not true. So I think I think that's the first thing. The first thing is that there is a lot of preconceived ideas that needs to be absolutely broken. The reality of the European market is that there is a stronger identity per country, okay? I don't think there is any country in Europe, I mean, I'm talking about Western Europe here, as big as the states of California. The states of California economy is probably bigger than the economy of France. I don't know, I've done the math, so I may take the risk of sounding stupid here, but the scale of the United States versus Europe is completely fundamentally different. But for us, we've got small territories, but everybody is really, really territorial about their patch. And that territorial mindset is coming from thousands of years of fighting each other. Probably half Italian, half German, half English, but I happen to have a French accent and I was born in France. But we've been inviting each other since the beginning. You know, we had the Vikings and Germans, then, you know, the French went to the UK with German and then the Germans stayed there. It's, you know, it's lots of things going on. But all that make us quite territorial and make us think that we are very different. So sometimes, even now, I will speak to a German prospect and they will tell me, oh, it's very different in Germany and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, okay, I'm listening to them, but I don't think it is. I don't think it's different. I think I think the approach is pretty much the same. You just need to adapt. The German are much more analytical than a Latin prospect. A Latin prospect, you speak to them. They want to have fun with you. If they like you on the social aspect, they're probably going to take a meeting with you. They probably want to hear more. They will give you the time. So small talk, being a bit witty, getting the conversation going is quite important. In Germany, no, it's respected the outset and you go straight to the fact. You go straight to what makes you unique. And people will say, send me some information. They actually will read your emails, which is fantastic. And, and potentially two weeks later, you'll have a PA coming back to you and say, okay, we're ready to do a meetings. We've got five people on our side with coming. Okay. But, you know, understanding the, the cultural difference is important. But I think it's, sometimes it's important more for us to manage our clients and manage the French sales guy and the German sales guy that think that they all want something different from each other than actually managing the prospects. Because the prospects are pretty much the same. <laughs> in the same boat. If it's cybersecurity, they've got cybersecurity issues. Everybody got some. If it's infrastructure, they're trying to grow their infrastructure, move to the cloud. If it's big data, this and that. I mean, same issues for prospects, okay? And unless you target government, who are probably a bit more patriotic in a way, or public services, then the rest of the organizations are pretty much the same worldwide. Now, the way you engage with people, the mentality of people is different. In the US, we will have some of our guys speaking to someone, they get a meeting literally one hour later. In Europe, it's two weeks, three weeks before you can get a meeting with a C-level executive. So there is a few cultural changes, but that's, that's what to, to expect. Now, the other big difference is that you don't, you have data privacy in Europe. So there is, you know, we pay for discover.org in Europe and 
you know, I don't want to be too bad about it, but the feedback I get from my team is that it doesn't really provide them the same level of results as what we get in the US. In the US, we think it's a very good tool. In Europe, it's not really it's not really there. So there is much more prospection that needs to be done in Europe. So you need to have BDRs that will work harder. And that's a common mistake that we see from, from our clients because they don't know. So they will lend a BDR team in Europe and just set them up for failure. Why? Because they say, well, you know what? We're going to replicate the fantastic sales playbook and process that we've got in North America, from which the basis is discover.org or another solution. It could be you know, intent marketing that works better in the US than it works in Europe. But those solutions don't provide the same level of quality in the European market as they do in the US, for example. So if that's the base, if that's the source of your sales play, well, then you kind of set up your team for failure already. Got it. So there has to be another layer between Discover Org and the BDR of doing more research, making sure that the data is clean, whereas yeah. here in the United States, it can just go straight to the BDR. Yeah, I think I think in the United States, you can you can afford with with the tools that are available and the fact that you know data privacy is not as strict as it is in Europe. You can have a little bit more of an automated approach. You can have a little bit more of that machine gun type of approach, but still hit the target pretty well. In Europe, what we see working is more of a sniper approach. You know, like the the red dot <laughs> versus <laughs> the machine gun. Got it. Yeah, you know, and that's what we do. And so you also hear a lot about going through channel partners. So mm -hmm. if you're not familiar, you've never been to Spain, you know, and you want to go out and start to build your business, a lot of U.S. companies work through local channels. Yeah. Is that a good way to go or is it better to... Uh, it depends what your expectations are. Okay. Um, so the channel are like the end user. And I've got lots of, a lot of friends in the channel in the UK, in France, in Spain, Italy, Germany, you name it, you know, Netherlands, because we do a lot of work through the channel. And sometimes our clients use MDF, so channel money to pay us. So we kind of walk through the channel and interact with them. But it depends what your expectations are. You know, if you are a vendor and you get the channel, because I think it's similar in the US, you are my channel partner. If I just recruit you as my channel partner, David, and then I sit back and I wait for you to bring me opportunities, probably got it wrong. Okay. Yeah. If you are my channel partner, David, and in the process of recruiting you, I'm saying, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to have a funded ad or alpha funded ad that will come and work with you. We understand that as a partner, your issue is getting to net new clients or increasing your annual recurring revenue from our existing customer base or differentiating yourself in a very doggy dog partner environment. So what we will do is to provide you some support for what is the most difficult, which is getting that initial opportunity, finding those opportunities, right? Finding the rough diamond is tough. Polishing the diamond and putting it on the ring, it's easy, okay? Well, it's easier. Uh, but that's, that's exactly the same analogy. So it depends what you're after. You know, I mean, I don't want to disrespect anyone in the channel and you know i've got a lot of friends again so i may get some phone calls and texts and all that but i think I'm, i make a statement that is, is pretty fair the best sales people the best sales guy the guys that are really capable of closing the multi-million dollar deals or the big deals in general from scratch are working for the vendors 
Why? Because this is where the big money is. In the channel, you would have good salespeople, but they probably are more in a in a fulfillment type of role. Okay, and it's not true. You know, I don't want to make a generality because you've got exceptional salespeople in the channel as well, and you know, upcomers that are working in the channel right now and will end up in the vendor anyway. But that's the reality that you've got to appreciate. You can't recruit a channel partner and leave them on their own. So that's that's the first statement. The second statement that I would say is you need to have someone to manage a channel. So even if it's a VPMEA, you don't need to have an head of region in each region. But even if it's a, a centralized VPMEA, someone that can be there who is two hours away in a flight to go and take a meeting, you need to go knock at their door, show them love, particularly if they're Latin, maybe take them for a drink or a lunch, entertain them, get them to like you, build a relationship with those guys. So having, if you do a channel strategy, I would not recommend to do it just with a channel and managing it from North America, unless you can have someone who flies a lot. I would say get someone in Europe that probably have the experience of building up a channel from scratch. Maybe an up-and-comer VP that could take on more responsibility or a strong salesperson that's understand the channel and get those guys to you know, be the local point of contact, be the person that go to the meeting with the channel partners. But to get the channel going, you need to be controlling your own destiny. And I think you need to provide them with opportunities. You need to provide them with support in developing those opportunities. So they just fulfill for the begin at the beginning. And then it's probably when they get their first three, four, five deals for you, depending on the size of the deals. You know, obviously if it's a 500K versus a 50K deal, you, you'll have a big difference. But as they start to get margin, so they get they get points, they get a, a percentage of the deal, you know, and they probably would get a smaller percentage if they just fulfill the opportunity versus sourcing the opportunity and selling themselves. But as this as they start getting the fulfillment margin, they start to make money. And when they start to make money, it's often when the CFO, the CEO of this organization, we tend to be small businesses, most of them, will start to look at your company and say, oh my God, we're making some money about those guys. Need to get in touch with them. Maybe we should invest in an SE, system engineer or technical person. Maybe we should invest in this, that. And that's what they will actually, you know, in a sense, take their finger out and do something about it. Because the whole pitch of, again, best things in sliced bread, you, Mr. Partner, is going to make an absolute fortune working with me, sign that piece of paper, introduce me to all your clientele, doesn't work anymore. Those guys have had their finger burnt with people saying that, selling solution to their clients, and then losing clients because the solution was not working. So that's the sort of psychology that I think you need to understand. And if I was in the shoes of someone doing it, I would get someone on the ground that can manage this relationship and also make sure that person can not only manage a channel, but also develop the opportunities with the channel. So go to the sales meeting, be there in front of the prospect, see in their eyes, look at what they're saying, bring the feedback, be in the trenches with them. There is not such a thing as just recruiting partners sitting back and you know having the cash coming in. <laughs> yeah. That is great advice. That is great advice. This is this is amazing. I hope everyone is taking notes. I've got two pages of notes here. I've got a bunch wow. of questions, but we'll make it for part two, Ray, because uh, We're running out of time. I, I feel like I feel like I want to extract all the information out of your head and get it on online and on paper. Now you've got a podcast as well, and you're doing yes. a lot of great um, content. How can people 
learn more about your company and subscribe to the podcast. Sure. So we are Operatix, O-P-E-R-A-T-I-X. You can find us online. So we've got obviously a website. We will be probably all over LinkedIn because we do we do a fair amount of that. If you find Operatix, you probably will find me. I've got a very specific name. So Aurelien, which is A-U-R-E-L-I-E-N. And my surname is Motier, M-O-T-T-I-E-R. And yeah, I mean, probably LinkedIn is the best way to, to get in touch at, at first. And for the podcast, they are on B2B Revenue Acceleration. So you can type that into Google. Again, you can find them through the website. Or if you go onto our Operatics page or my page on LinkedIn, you will find all the links that you want. So I think we've got over 60 episodes now. Now, Not sure how many have, have been published yet. So probably at least around 50, 55. But yeah, it's going great. You know, like you, David, we love to have conversation. We're excited about what we do. We love what we do. So yeah, yeah please come and listen to the podcast. And if you need anything, just just let us know. We'll be happy to help. Absolutely. And and thank you for sharing your knowledge with the audience and coming on. And we'll do it again soon. So thanks so much for coming on the Sales Development Podcast. That was an absolute pleasure, David. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.